invite you tonight to turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 12. If you're using one of our pew Bibles in front of you, it's pages 49 and 50, I believe. Exodus chapter 12, pages 49 and 50 in our pew Bible. Let's pray. Lord, we have just sung prayerful words towards you, our God and Father, for your willingness to sacrifice your Son in our behalf. Jesus, we express words of gratitude, Lord, to you for your willingness to obey the Father and come in love on our behalf and die. And Holy Spirit, we pray in gratitude to you, for you have awakened our eyes, our minds, to see the glory of the cross where our sins were paid for. Our holy God, we are full of gratitude tonight, even as we are humbled over the reason why your son Jesus Christ had to spill his blood. I pray that, Lord, as a result of this time, we would come away from here assured in the Christ of the cross, and we would come away from here full of worship over the Christ of the cross. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. The story of Christ on the cross at Calvary began long before Jesus came to earth because it was promised in many places by the prophets of old and also by the meaning-packed imagery which God set before his people. In Exodus chapter 12, we have one of the most important examples of vivid sacrificial imagery in all of the scriptures. And it is my prayer that the picture God gave us here will fill our hearts with sweet assurance over what the Lord accomplished for us many centuries ago after this passage when his son was nailed to a tree as a sacrifice for our sins. Let's first consider Exodus chapter 11, verses 4 through 7, where God declares to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the final judgment he would bring down upon the Egyptians for enslaving God's people and for refusing to obey the word of the Lord to let his people go. Now, prior to this passage, the Lord had raised up his servant Moses along with his brother Aaron to go to Pharaoh and to demand that he release God's people. But Pharaoh was hard-hearted and he would not relent leading the righteous, holy God of all to bring nine devastating plagues down upon the Egyptians, including turning their water into blood, filling their land with frogs and gnats and flies, devastating their livestock and their crops with hail and locusts, and forcing them to endure boils on their body and prevailing darkness in the sky over them. And now, the tenth and final plague would come, and it would finally force Pharaoh to relent and send God's people Israel away from him and from the land of Egypt. Look with me at Exodus 11, 
verse 4. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Two things I want us to see here as background for chapter 12. Number one, the Lord himself would strike down the firstborn of the Egyptians on one particular night. God's proclaimed judgment is that the firstborn of the land of Egypt would be struck down on that night. And then number two, that the Lord ensured the protection of his covenant people Israel. The people whom he had chosen to himself, he had made a covenant to protect them. Now let's turn to chapter 12, where I want to make four brief points that connect this incredible event here in the Exodus to our lives and to our hope. Point number one this evening, the blood of the Lamb provides certain safety from the judgment of God. The blood of the Lamb provides certain safety from the judgment of God. Look with me at Exodus 12, beginning of verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall, not let, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Look at verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. That's God's word. There was just one way for the Israelites to be saved from God's hand of judgment. On the particular night which the Lord set apart, each family of Israel or neighbors who came together as a collective, each, each family of Israel was to slaughter a lamb that had no blemish in its wool or defect in its flesh. They were commanded to eat the entire animal over the course of that night, burning whatever they did not consume. And most importantly, most importantly, they were to spread some of the lamb's blood on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house, which is the horizontal beam on a doorway of a house. And when the blood of the lamb was on those doors, the Lord promised to pass by their homes when he came for judgment. All the Egyptian firstborn would be killed, as would the first of their livestock, but the people of Israel would be saved if they believed God's word and applied the blood of the Lamb. Verse 13, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Verse 23, the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over. You see, the blood of the lamb was essential. In fact, it was the only way for them to be saved from the judgment of a righteous God. God promised that if they applied the blood of the lamb, they would be safe. And that is exactly what happened. Those who applied the blood of the Lamb were saved. Point number two. The blood of the Lamb pointed to a greater Lamb who was sent by God. The blood of the Lamb pointed to a greater Lamb who was sent by God. This is where the Old Testament imagery of this passage connects to the New Testament reality. Centuries later, God sent a far superior lamb who actually secured the eternal forgiveness of his people by forever taking away their sins. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist speaks. It says in that verse, the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God has made it clear in his word through the prophet John that his son is the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is that lamb who, who came into the world that God has created and he has taken away the sins of sinners who are in the world. The lamb of Exodus 12 is but a picture of the lamb of John chapter 1. Jesus, the lamb of God, was a perfect, spotless, sinless lamb who was both qualified and capable of providing payment for the sins of those whom he has loved since before the foundation of the world. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, the apostle Peter wrote, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with, with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Peter understood. He made the connection. To be ransomed is to be spiritually freed from both the penalty and the power of one's sin. And Jesus, as Peter attested, provided this ransom with his own blood. It wasn't a monetary payment. It wasn't in the goods of this world. It was with, it was with the only blood that could possibly pay for such crimes. Jesus, the Lamb of God, provided the perfect sacrifice for the sins of his people when his blood was shed at the cross. And this is exactly why we have come together this evening on Good Friday, because it was the night that the Lamb was sacrificed for our sins. So this imagery in Exodus chapter 12 points us to a better Lamb who secured a more perfect salvation for God's precious people. Point number three, and this is where I want you to hear this in your heart and mind and life. The blood of the Lamb promotes full assurance for sinners before God. The blood of the Lamb promotes full assurance for sinners before God. God had made a promise in Exodus 12 that when the blood was applied, his people would be saved. Look again at chapter 12. Look at verse 13. It says, When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you. Look again at verse 23. It says, That the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. My friends, the ground of our assurance here, the certain basis upon which safety can be found here, was the blood applied to the door. Because the God who cannot lie had made a promise about that blood. That when he saw the blood, his judgment would pass on. And the exact same thing is true with Christ, the Lamb of God. Our certain ground of assurance before God is Christ's sacrifice for sinners on the cross where his blood was shed. It is not in the strength of our faith and it is not in the righteousness which stems from our faith, but it is the crucified Savior himself whom we look to in faith. To this point, I want you to listen to a portion of a sermon 
that I heard in 2016 from Dr. D.A. Carson at a conference that I attended. He writes this, he said this at that conference. He said, picture two Jews by the name of Smith and Brown, remarkably Jewish names. The day before the first Passover, they're having a little discussion in the land of Goshen. And Smith says to Brown, boy, are you a little nervous about what's going to happen tonight? Brown says, well, God told us what to do through his servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the lamb and daubed two doorposts with blood, put blood on the lintel? Haven't you done that? You're all ready and packed to go. You're going to eat your whole Passover meal with your family. Of course I've done that. I'm not stupid. But it's still a little scary when you think of all the things that have happened around here recently. You know, the flies and the river turning to blood. It's pretty awful. And now there's a threat of the firstborn being killed, you know. It's all right for you. You've got three sons. I've only got one, and I love my Charlie to death, and the angel of death is passing through tonight. I know what God says. I put the blood there, but it's pretty scary. I'll be glad when this night is over. And the other one responded, bring it on. I trust the promises of God. That night, the angel of death swept through the land. Which one lost his son? And the answer, of course, is neither. Because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of the faith that's exercised but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. That's what silences the accuser. The blood silences the accuser of the brothers as he accuses us before God. It silences our consciences when he accuses us directly. How many times do we writhe in agony asking if God can ever love us enough if God can ever care for us enough after we've done such stupid, sinful, rebellious things after being Christians for 40 years, what are you going to say? Oh God, I tried hard, you know. I did my best. It was a bad moment. No, no, no. I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. There is the ground of all human assurance before God. There is the ground of our faith. Not guaranteeing intensity of faith, so fickle are we. It is not the intensity of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves they overcome him on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. Unquote. The blood of the Lamb 
promotes full assurance for sinners before God. Oh, dear friend, if you are here today and you do not have assurance in Christ, understand that the blood of the Lamb has been spilt in payment for your sins. And if you will recognize your sinfulness, repenting of it in your heart, and embrace Jesus in faith, believing that what he did pays for your sins, my friends, your sins will be washed away. You will be clean, and you will have Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Regardless of how intense your faith is, regardless of whether or not you will sin tomorrow. Point number four. The blood of the Lamb presses us to gratefully remember the love of God. The blood of the Lamb presses us to gratefully remember the love of God. One last time, look with me at Exodus 12. Verse 14 says, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Look at verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt And when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. This Passover was meant to be remembered by the Jews each and every year to remind them of how God graciously provided for them and mercifully passed over them. And they were to tell their children of the wonderful work of this God. Oh, my friends. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who came to take away our sin and we must gratefully remember the love of God that was so graciously shown through Him. So tonight, let us gratefully remember Him by making Christ alone the ground of our confidence before a holy God. Nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. May that be your life statement that you only cling to the Christ on the cross the one who suffered, bled, and died for you and as we'll see on Sunday rose again so that you could have life and let us gratefully remember him by worshiping him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength let the work of Christ where he did everything for you turn itself into a heart inside of your chest that seeks to do everything for him. Let's pray. Oh Lord, tonight I don't pretend that everyone here knows Christ. I assume that they do not. I pray that tonight, Lord, the truth about Jesus Christ would have and would still provoke hearts to believe. Do what only you can do, I ask, Father. Might we be faithful in proclaiming the cross of Christ, and I pray that you would be faithful as you promise to do mighty things when it's proclaimed. We trust you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.